Absolutely. Yeah, we see a lot of demonized and demon-possessed young people and older people. And the truth is, um, you know, the longer we give in to the enemy's plans and tactics, the deeper those roots in that demon possession and control go. I think many of us have stepped over a penny on the sidewalk and thought nothing of it because we know that it's not worth much in our society. How many people will pick up a penny and go buy something with it? The truth is we step over our kids in the same way. Welcome to the show. My name is Jesslyn, and today I am here with Rana Mal of Breaking Cycles. Say hello. Hello there. We are so excited to have you here. So first off, why don't you tell us a little bit about Breaking Cycles? Well, Breaking Cycles is a faith-based nonprofit working with at-risk youth um, ages 14 to about 24 years old. Primarily, we've worked with homeless with transitional youth and and then over the last few years, we've developed a coffee and bike shop where our youth can come and learn job skills. It's not just about learning the job skill, but it's actually more about mentoring and mm-hmm. learning about who they are in Christ and showing them the tremendous value that is on their lives. I love it. Now, you have a really cool story about this shop that involves pennies on the floor. Can you tell me something yeah. about that? Yes, so the penny has actually become our symbol that we use in relation to the youth that we work with that are literally stepped over on sidewalks. Mm -hmm. I think many of us have stepped over a penny on the sidewalk and thought nothing of it because we know that it's not worth much in our society. How many people will pick up a penny and go buy something with it? The truth is we step over our kids in the same way, Mm -hmm. especially in the bigger cities where there's a lot of homeless folks, and this includes children and teenagers. And so what we've done is um, taken several years and had penny drives all over the city of Portland and collected 148,000 pennies, and we've literally laid a penny floor in the cafe. What's beautiful about this is that the youth that we work with, we actually were able to hire to come and help lay that floor. And so there's designs all over the floor from flowers to names to scriptures that really display the beauty and creativity that are in these kids. It's really, for us, a metaphorical and physical laying of a new foundation for the young people that we work with. And the same applies to your name as well. Breaking Cycles is spelled like bicycle breaks, and cycles is also bicycles, but it's also a poverty cycle. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Well, the truth is our young people in the city are caught in cycles of destruction in sex trafficking and drug use and hopelessness. And so really what we're trying to do is send a message that cycles can be broken through establishing and building healthy relationship. The truth is these kids come from all over the country. We hear all the time about youth that are given a one-way ticket to Portland because they've heard that the services here for homeless youth are so robust. Mm -hmm. I just read an article a couple of weeks ago that said that Oregon is the number one state for youth homelessness. And so what happens is these young people get to the streets of Portland, downtown Portland specifically, where there's so many services where they can have their basic needs met from from a bed at night to three meals a day. But what happens is 
they've left their communities and entered into this community, and they find community within other young people that are on the streets. And so they've they come into new families that they call their street families. They've come into a place where they are given a new name, a street name. They're given an, a purpose on the streets of Portland to the point that they'll lay their, their very lives down for mm-hmm. it. And so what we aim to do, our mission is really to reach these kids where they're at and show them that their identity and their name is not on the streets of Portland, but it's, it's in God's family. And so we speak the truth and value over their lives so that they can enter into healthy community. We provide that by, um, we also have four homes. Um, under the umbrella of the organization Transitional Youth. And so we meet kids on the streets and we love on them and serve them and encourage them to move into one of the homes long-term where they can begin learning their value and begin um, really being able to um, just know the truth about who they are and then enter into the life that God has for them rather than the one the enemy has for them. Amen. And I know we've spoken before that you talked about how the Lord takes some of these things like their street names and their street families, and he just exchanges it with his way. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I have a philosophy, and it's just because of the work that I've done here in the Portland area for the past 20-plus years, and it's a little bit about what I just talked about in that um, I believe that we all as human beings need four basic things. Number one, we need a name. We want to know that our name matters, that there's value. Number two, we need a family, whether we call it a family or community or tribe or clan. We need a people group to belong to. Number three, we need a purpose within that family. Number four, we that purpose would be so great that we would actually lay our lives down for it. And so what the enemy has come in and done is completely robbed them of that those those four basic things. What God intended was to give us a name, right? Mm-hmm. He He has given us a new people group, right? We we become part of His family. He adopts us into His family. Number three, He gives us a purpose within that family to the point, number four, that we would lay our very lives down for it. And so the enemy has come and taken what God's original design is mm-hmm. for a name, for a people group, for purpose to the point we will lay our lives down for it, and he's warped it and twisted it and manipulated it and and robbed these kids of their very identity. Mm. And so they're being lied to. And so it's I believe it's our job as the church to speak the truth over our young people about who they are, their name, who their family really is. It's in Christ, what their purpose is, that it's God-given to the point that, just like Jesus did, lay his life down for us, that we would lay our lives down for our brothers. That's amazing. Now, this story is personal to your heart because you were also a homeless youth at one point in time. Can you tell me a little bit about your own testimony? Yes, I was actually homeless on the streets of Portland. I was, um, even before that, um, born into homelessness, actually, in New Orleans. Um, my family was homeless for many years of my life, and we actually lived in our car and traveled across the country. My dad was an addict. He was a gambler and an alcoholic and and just um, felt the need to just drive across the country multiple times and didn't have any sense of wanting to establish roots for his children. And um, my mom was an abused woman, and so we spent the first seven years of my life actually in our car driving from city to city to city. And my mom knew that at some point she needed to 
get away from him and establish roots for her children. And so she made a plan talking him into to moving to Portland. We visited here apparently at one point and she fell in love with the city and and um, formulated a plan to talk him into moving here and then run. And that's exactly what she did. Mm-hmm. And so when I was seven years old, we landed in Portland and I don't know how she did it to this day, but she was able to get a job and a little house for me and my siblings and got away from him. And when I was 10 years old, my dad left our lives entirely, and I never saw him again. He just never came back one day, and I never saw him again. And um, I I was, you know, like a lot of children, um, like we work with, was just devastated and feeling hopeless and lost. And by the time I was 12, started using drugs. And by the time I was 13, I was on the streets of Portland and what's kind of crazy is that the very street that our coffee and bike shop is on is the, the street where the the very first bridge that I slept under is mm-hmm. also on. I just love how God will weave points of your life into a, a story that is so meaningful, and it is meaningful to me. So at 13 years old, I was on the streets and using drugs and very hopeless. I had a death wish. I didn't care whether I lived or died, a lot like the kids we work with today. And at 14 years old, by the time I was 14, I was pregnant. And that is where the Lord met me in mm-hmm. such a powerful way. I didn't know who he was. I, I believed that there was a God, but I had no idea what his name was or, or what the purpose was. But um, at 14, I was on the streets and I was using drugs and pregnant. And I was walking down the street and then just literally went down. I collapsed. And I think of it a lot like the the Saul to Paul Mm -hmm. Damascus Road experience because I know I heard the words, this baby isn't going anywhere. And I didn't know where those words came from. I just know that they hit me like a ton of bricks and I could not ignore the fact anymore that I had a child growing inside of me. And God knew exactly what I needed to hear. And I I have to tell you that that moment, I was instantly sober and Mm -hmm. instantly in my my right mind. And I knew that I needed to get off the streets as fast as possible to protect this baby. And that began my journey in crying out to God and saying, okay, God, if this is you, if this is what your voice sounds like, then I need help. And the Lord did help me um, in a, a series of events. And I made myself a promise shortly after that, after my daughter was born, that I knew there were so many more kids out there Mm -hmm. like me, and I needed to go back and help them when I was able. And so I made myself a promise at that very tender age that if this was real, if this was God, and He was going to rescue me, I knew that I had an obligation to come back and help other kids. And so that's what I've devoted my life to, actually. I love how you've honored the Lord like that. How long ago was that? Like, how long has the turnaround been since you made this promise to now you're running this organization? Well, my daughter, 34, and um, I have I have a granddaughter by her, too, mm-hmm. but I've spent my entire career serving homeless and at-risk youth, teen moms, kids that are being trafficked, um, kids that are incarcerated, kids that are on drugs. I've spent my entire career, 20-plus years, working with at-risk youth. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Now, you mentioned hearing the Lord's voice, and we believe that spiritual warfare is very real and very prevalent. What role does prophecy in understanding this spiritual warfare play as you work with these kids? It's absolutely crucial because the truth is, I think we can get caught up in the moment of the need. For Mm -hmm. instance, if there's someone on a street corner, a a youth 
you know, sitting in a doorway needing a meal. We get caught up in the moment of that need. And oftentimes, meeting that instant need is just just a drop in the bucket because we know that we need so much more than a, a meal to feed ourselves. We need the Word of God. We need mm-hmm. the truth. And that's why I say that if if a plate of food is actually going to keep a kid on the street another day, then we're actually sometimes feeding into the enemy's plan. Mm. And so we have to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and realize that there's powers and principalities and strongholds that are keeping systems in place, that are keeping children in place, right in the enemy's web. Mm. And when I said that, um, you know, we we hear all the time kids being given a one-way ticket to Portland because the services are so robust. Services aren't the answer. Jesus is the answer. And so if all we ever do is meet that basic need in giving a kid a meal or a sleeping bag, we are contributing sometimes to the enemy's plan to keep them stuck there. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important that we have to take a step back and realize that the enemy is at work in our systems. And the question of how can I help is really the wrong question. The question that we as believers, as spirit-filled believers, have to ask Mm -hmm. ourselves is not how can we help. The question we have to ask ourselves is how can we love? The next time we see a kid in a doorway or street corner, instead of saying, how can I help? And then we roll down our window and hand them $2 and think that we've done something to help. Maybe we've just contributed to the enemy's plan in Mm -hmm. keeping them high another day. We have to ask ourselves, how can I love? Because how we love someone is going to look a lot different than handing $2 out the window. We have to have skin in the game and we have to know that Loving them means going back the next day and the next day and the next day because caring for them is not leaving them on that street corner. We would never, ever drive past our own child on mm-hmm. a street corner and hand them out, hand them $2 out the window. And I personally would be horrified if that's where my child was and knowing that that $2 was keeping them there one more day. Wow. So we have to ask the hard questions. We have to have a completely different conversation. It's just mind-blowing because there are many people who are like, they have little homeless baggies that they keep in their car that have like sunscreen and granola bars and all these things. And you're like, yes, I'm doing a good deed. I can check this off my list. But I've never thought about like this may actually be playing into the enemy's plans. Sometimes it is. And I don't ever want to say that it always is because Mm -hmm. God has to lead each of us differently. Absolutely. But I would challenge somebody the next time they handle, hand that baggie out the window with that granola bar, ask them, ask them to ask themselves the question, how can I love? Mm. That means when you drive away, you're going to be praying for them. You're going to be committed to pray for them. Maybe it means pulling your car over and sitting on that corner with them or asking them to meet you at the market or, you know, Burger King or Denny's or something and actually sitting down and having a meal with them. And building a but relationship. At the very least, praying. Yes. Now, I've never been to Portland. Um, I've lived my entire life in the South. I'm in Florida now. But what I hear about Portland is that it is very spiritually charged. There's a lot of witchcraft. There's a lot of paganism and New Age beliefs. Is this something you encounter when you work with the youth? Absolutely. Yeah, we see a lot of demonized and demon-possessed young people and older people. And the truth is, um, you know, the longer we give in to the enemy's plans and tactics, 
the deeper those roots in that demon possession and control goes. And we see such a contrast in working with, let's say, a 16-year-old or a 26-year-old. There's such a contrast. And so our hope and mission really is to reach these young people as soon as possible, um, rather than, you know, them being out there. Even a, a day's time can make a difference in them being trafficked or drugged or beaten up. Um, but we, we definitely do see a lot of witchcraft. There's there's an arrogance. There's a spirit of arrogance in the air here. Mm-hmm. And um, we definitely have to be equipped and prayed up and and know, again, that the strongholds that we're dealing with are much greater, much bigger, um, more prominent than just the basic need of hunger. Um, and we have to we have to be willing to ask again the hard questions that am, am I am I playing into the enemy's plan in this? Because if we're just stepping out onto a street corner and serving a meal out there, and then we pat ourselves on the back and take our picture and go post it on Facebook and say I went and fed the homeless today as if we did something noble, I I kind of feel like we're feeding into the enemy's plan. Mm-hmm. Because again, if that were your child, that that the photo ended up on Facebook. How would you feel? Um, and so we have to be intentional about um, asking the Lord where these strongholds are and asking for mercy and grace and the, and the equipping of um, the tools and the armor that we need to reach the lost on these streets. And then we have to be willing to um, have skin in the game and walk the talk and bring them mm-hmm. into these homes bring them into Breaking Cycles Cafe and work with them side by side and show them the outrageous love of God. And um, I, I know that we can do that in a moment. I know there's a lot of evangelists out there that will share the gospel in a moment, but I think there's so many more of us that can do this every day and continue to do this every day, invest in somebody's life long term. Mm. I think that a tremendous difference can be made in that. That's incredible. And even as you're talking and about building relationships and you're talking about some of the struggles you guys deal with, our country is in a state of an emergency with the national opioid crisis. How do you guys prepare to deal with kids who are on drugs when they come into you and they are high out of their minds and you can't control them? Yes. Well, I know personally from personal experience that in an instant God can deliver you from that. Mm Mm-hmm. And we have seen that occasionally. Um, more often, we don't. Um, there are treatment centers in the area that we refer kids to. The homes that we have with transitional youth are homes that are long-term homes. We are not personally, as an organization, equipped for detox. Mm-hmm. And so we refer our youth to organizations that can handle those situations. And once they have detox, then they can come into our homes long-term. Wow. I uh, worked with an organization in Hong Kong run by Jackie Pullinger, and she works with detoxing as well. And it is when people come in the first 10 days, 24 hours a day for the first 10 days, you pray in tongues over them all day, every day. Wow. And it is it is quite a challenge. Um, wow. I thought I loved Jesus and I thought I was spirit filled. But when you're working in four hour shifts and you're praying in tongues for four straight hours, that's it's yeah. a little intense. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. But it works, and well, it's exciting. crazy. That's exciting. The Lord gave me a picture one time about our city and just 
really the manifestation of evil that is here because we've invited it in. We openly as a city, as a community, we have we have welcomed the enemy in mm. on so many levels. And he has come and he has taken the territory. And the Lord showed me one day a very vivid picture of, and this is graphic, so I apologize, but a very vivid and graphic picture of a boil, like a blister over, mm-hmm. like a dome over the city of Portland. Ugh. And it was infected and it was, it was murky and dark and diseased. And just like any blister, right? I, I was, I was just saying, Lord, how on earth can we penetrate you know, the hearts of these young people with the gospel, if we're living under such a cloud and disease like that. And the Lord showed me, just like any blister or any boil or any disease like that, what what do we do? We go to the hospital, we go to the doctor, and the doctor brings in a sterile needle to lance that, that boil. Mm. And what he showed me the sterile needle was, was the Word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce between bone and marrow, soul and spirit, and so while that boil or that blister over our city may be there, it is there, absolutely. So is the Word of God in us that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we can stand in this place of darkness and disease, and we can be that sword. We can be the conduit of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, able to pierce through that darkness. And so all of a sudden that picture that he gave me didn't look so daunting anymore mm-hmm. because greater is he that is in us, right, than Amen. he that's in the world. Wow, this all sounds so incredible. How many kids have you guys been able to help? Well, I would say um, Transitional Youth has been in existence for almost 28 years. Breaking Cycles has just become uh, the new kind of branch of Transitional Youth, and we've been in existence since 2013. And so I would say over the last 28 years, there have been thousands of young people that we have served and helped. I think, again, the landscape of what our our issues, like you said, the U.S., we're a hotbed of, of controversy and all of these things that are just dividing our country. The enemy's tactics are increasing and becoming more vicious. And so our presence and our intentional service needs to become that, too. We need to rise to the occasion. And so the the kind of service that we're providing has changed drastically. It's become more intentional. It's become more strategic as the urgency increases. That's incredible. As I'm talking, as I'm, you're talking to me, not I'm talking to you. Well, I guess we're doing both. Um <laughs> My heart is pricked and I'm convicted. How can people like me get involved? Because we don't want to play into the enemy's plans, but we so long to see the kingdom of God come to here on earth. Yes, yes. Yes, well, I say I would always invite anyone to become involved. Look at our website, transitionalyouth.org, breakingcycles.org, and breaking cycles is B-R-A-K-I-N-G. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a play on words. And and if you're, you're more interested in serving in your own community, I would... Um, I there's so many organizations around the United States that are doing really great work. I would start with prayer, prayerfully ask, Lord, what would you have me do? One of the things that has become really powerful here in Portland um, with Breaking Cycles is the reason why God called me to start a coffee and bike shop as a ministry is because coffee and bikes are two celebrated cultures and venues in Portland. Mm-hmm. This is what we hold in our hand. And one of the scriptures that the Lord has put on my heart is the story of Moses and how God called Moses to set a nation free. And he said to Moses, what do you hold in your hand? And Moses held a simple and humble shepherd's staff. 
and he used that shepherd's staff to set a nation free. It was the tool that he had in his hand at that time. The tool that we have in our hand here in Portland, two of the tools are coffee and bikes. And so we're using coffee and bikes as like the shepherd's staff to set a nation of young people free. And so I would ask, what do you hold in your hand, in your city, in your community? What is your passion? What is your talent? What's your skill set? And pray and ask God, how can I use this tool that is in my hand right now as a conduit, as a tool to set the nation of my sphere of influence free? Wow. I'm just, I'm sitting here and I'm blown away by it right now because there are so many things like, I'm a writer, and so I have a computer, and while I can't go out and do all the things, I can tell stories like yours, and everyone has something that the Lord has given them that they can use. Thank you so much for stopping by the show today. One of the things we like to ask our guests to do is pray for our listeners as a way of goodbye. Could you do that for us? Oh, I would be honored. I would be honored. So, Father God, we come before you now in Jesus' name and ask God that these words, that this tool would be a powerful Um, tool to to send out the truth of your word and the desire that you have for us as just simple people to partner with you in what you are already doing. Thank you, God, that it's not on our shoulders to change the world, but it's on our heart, God, to partner with you in the work that you're doing. Father, we invite you to, to mess with us and to shake us up and to show us how to ask the harder questions and not how can we help but instead, how can we love, whether that's in our own family, with our neighbor, with a stranger, God, put on our heart, how can we love? And Lord, use the simple tools that we have in our hand to set people free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Though Billy Graham's no longer here, his message lives on. There's a new TV special that looks at his commitment to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people all around the world. The new Billy Graham TV special is called The Message Lives On, and you can watch it right now at billygram.tv. Again, that's billygram.tv. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.